Uh, we are kicking off another podcast here with uh, Beyond Sunday. Sunday, Sunday. Yes, Sunday. yes. I'm sitting here with both Spencer and Christian. Uh, we talk a lot about what Beyond Sunday is. It's an opportunity for us to look at the the amazing biblical ideals, the truth of God's word that uh, is truly amazing. But to be able to land it into the context of relationships inside of a local church. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to grab some biblical truth. We've been working through Cornerstone Church. Cornerstone mm-hmm. Church. This specific local yeah, church. This yes. specific. Thank you for that mm-hmm. clarification. Um, but we've been working mainly out of what we've been preaching through, but in kind of working through sexual brokenness as we 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 wrestled through holiness in First Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. We wanted to take an opportunity to maybe springboard out of the text a little bit. It's not going to deviate a whole lot because we work so much from the biblical story anyways. But we wanted to look at sexuality and frame it inside of the biblical story, not so much maybe in specific ways, but definitely in ways that help us to understand that the Bible truly does speak to everything, including sexuality. And so mm-hmm. that's what we're going to be that's what we're going to be doing today and it already looks like Spencer's got a deep amazing well, thought. Well no, it's just it was one of those things of the way you frame that of going it's really not just sexuality, right? It's like the story of God is comprehensive. Mm-hmm. Like like it speaks to every area of life. And so today I think we're trying to model that it like one we I know all of us believe and I know Cornerstone's trying to frame like the way we even think through things in light of the story of God, but it's not this little like novelty act and how we mm-hmm. communicate. Like we actually believe that the biblical story speaks to every area of life. And today we're just trying to talk about one aspect of life, which yeah. is sexuality. And I think what's cool about that is not only does the biblical story speak to all of life, it also sometimes challenges us, right? By sometimes something that we think is an absolutely gigantic deal is not as central to the the Bible story as it might be to the way that we, we yeah, perceive it. Yeah, it might reframe how we should think about it. Exactly. But I think in some ways affirm what we think, in some ways probably challenge what we think and correct how we think. And that's that point of the kind of the Proverbs 3 idea of trusting in the Lord and not leaning on my own understanding, allowing God's word to even dictate the importance and the the level of centrality to who I am. And I think that that's one mm-hmm. that does factor into sexuality yeah. is... I think throughout human history, there's been human cultures that have downplayed sexuality, not made it as important as it is. Yeah. And then other cultures, maybe more like ours, that have overplayed it. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. You, you go, you've gone back to Proverbs 3 a few times. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because you go to Proverbs 3 and that idea of not leaning on our own understanding. And my heart goes to Romans 12 and not conforming to the pattern yeah. of the world. Yeah. But again, don't conform to the pattern of the world in regards to like our sexuality, like, but allow that to be transformed by this new covenant reality and going either one of those things. It's like, man, the the story of God is not silent and it speaks to these issues. So that's kind of, and I think what's cool is, is I then look at the whole Bible. I don't just isolate myself to a few (laughs) verses. And so I really do appreciate, but I think like why we're so passionate about this is even as we look at sexuality in our friendship, I have loved so much how God has, as the more we've explored the cohesive, beautiful story of God and the reality that we can we can walk any facet of life through it. And on the other end, we can understand in a, in a maybe a more clear way what God's called us to. Yeah. And that's where I'm, I'm excited today to kind of have that, that discussion. Yeah. The last episode, you quoted a book, and I don't remember the author hmm. now, but if you guys are listening, it's the one you listened to like a <laughs> half hour ago. Um, it. <laughs> It's the simple statement, though, of if we're we as a church are not speaking into this, we will be discipled by the world in regards to our sexuality, yeah, or really any other thing in life. But going how our business practice or how we conduct our families or what we do in our free time or whatever, but going the the biblical story speaks to these issues. The Bible's not silent. We just need to learn how to grow into our ability to disciple others within the biblical story and the biblical narrative and to be discipled ourselves. Like I I feel like the more we work through the biblical story and all these different facets of life, I'm amazed how my views have changed Mm -hmm. because of that. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to dive in a little bit. We're going to take a run through the biblical story, uh, looking at sexuality. I'll I'll give a kind of a forewarning. We're not going to answer every question or uh, in regards to sexuality, but we really do want to look at it 
and help us to frame in a way how we can at least begin to have those first thinkings, no matter who we are, where we come from, in any facet or form, how we can look at sexuality in that way. So we'll take a little journey through the story together. I'm glad you're, you're joining us. All right. Well, I think in a lot of ways, some of you hear us start to talk the story of God and you're probably going, oh my gosh, they're going to be talking about the story of God another time. But but we are going to because we really do believe all of life flows from this particular story. And so whether we're talking how we preach, how we teach here at Cornerstone, or even the times that we've all taught over at EBC, just our firm belief that the way in which we best know who God is, who we are, and how to join Him in the world, and the way He's called us is the way that we do that. And so what I'm going to do is, is let me just give, before we get started here, I'll give a little story arc to help us understand, then we'll give some hooks for people to kind of cling on to. And then we'll start to work through the story in regards to sexuality. So in the biblical story, we all know that the way in which the entire story is framed, it's framed from the position first of creation. That's the, the first book of the Bible launches off in the beginning God and off it went. And we learn all about the amazing realities of not only the world God created, but how the world works and, and the amazing truths of what it, it, it meant for us now to be God's chief creation put inside of that garden initially to enjoy God and to know him and to live with him. So that's the first part of it is creation. The second part, though, is the part and starts in Genesis 3, which we all are sad about that it did frame everything differently was when man chose to rebel against God. Mm -hmm. We call it rebellion. Uh, but the beauty of that story in rebellion, that though we rebelled and though the world, in fact, the entire universe shuddered at the moment, everything went into that state of fallenness, is that God, from the very opening in Genesis 3.15, had a plan. There would yeah. be a snake crusher, and he began the third part of this, which is the redemptive work that he was accomplishing in and through not only people like Adam and Eve, but last time we talked about, last time, no, we didn't talk about, no, but we talked about even God's work through something like Babel, mm -hmm. getting into Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, working through Moses and and and, Ab or, and uh, David, working through the prophets until we finally come to the beautiful climax of the entire story, which is King Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's his fulfilling work, not only in his death, which we sometimes make the grand emphasis, but also forgetting his resurrection. And from there, after the rise of that story, there's the beautiful fall of now God's people, those that are in Christ, that launch off in this amazing journey of the church, in which then it moves in God's purpose and plan, because he is the Lord of all creation, the Lord of all history, towards finally Jesus's grand victory that we see and the entrance of humanity into new creation. So... Those are kind of the, 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 there's the story arc for us to kind of work it through. So Christian, why don't you kind of take from that opening aspect of creation and let's, let's think through sexuality a little bit from that, from that opening, opening salvo of Genesis one and two. Cool. Yeah. I, I think that when you, when you look at Genesis one, again, if we want to start our starting point for understanding who are we as human beings, there's a lot of places we can go with that. We can go to our gender, we can go to race, we can go to sexuality and things like that. But the Bible makes this really emphatic claim in Genesis 1 that the most centrally defining aspect of our humanity is this idea that we are made in the image of God. I, I think that actually refers to God's intention to share his presence with us, that we are those who are meant to be these, these ones with whom God would dwell. <laughs> And then what he goes on to explain there in Genesis 1 is this partnership that he created us in his image to do, to, to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And he gave us everything that we would need. He gave the, put them in this garden with every uh, kind of food that they would need and an important work to do, to, to tend that garden, to work it and, and to keep it. Yeah, when we do that, we actually help people see God, yes. Yes. see how God is. We bear we, his image. We bear, yeah. yeah, we... we, we live in right relationship with him. And then we reflect his character to the world as yeah. well. And I think that that's the big umbrella. We understand our sexuality in the same way that God has given us physical bodies in the same way that he's given us a physical world. Our sexuality is one aspect of that. That's been given to us by God. But again, under that umbrella idea that we were made in God's image to partner with him in putting him on display. Mm -hmm. So everything that we think about in regard to our sexuality it does not exist on the side of that. It still exists under that. That's why even in our doctrinal statement, we use the, the language of stewarding our sexuality, that our sexual desires um, and the ways that we can act on those desires is something that has been given to us by God 
that now we need to learn to steward what God has entrusted to us in keeping with his purpose in making us for a relationship with him to put him on display. That's kind of the, the big, I guess, the ideal is in the same way they were to keep the garden and use it appropriately, they were to keep themselves and their, their sexuality and use it appropriately. In, I love the word you used there of going, <clears throat> in the beginning, we see God's intent mm -hmm. for his creation. We see God's intent for humanity. We see his intent for sexuality. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's, it's to make him known, put him on display. Uh, and so our call then is to be good stewards and pointing back to what God intended for his creation. Yes. But we, we don't stay there in the biblical story. Like we said, Genesis 3 comes after Genesis 1 and 2, where suddenly the serpent comes in with different information, like different knowledge that contradicted God's knowledge. We see Eve looking at that tree and desiring it in a way that was not in keeping with good desires and then acting on it in a way that was out of line with God's commands. And I think in those same ways, when we think about how do we steward our sexuality, not just as image bearers, but as, as, as rebellious fallen humans, we need to recognize that that's going to involve sorting out true knowledge from false knowledge in regard to the way we understand our sexuality, sorting out the difference between what are right desires and wrong desires, and then the ways that we can act on those in wrong ways. So I think at the level of knowledge, desire, and action, all that comes into the equation of the way we think about sexuality. And too. what's crazy is, is prior to the fall, there were no wrong desires. Yeah. There were no wrong actions. There were yeah. no wrong thoughts right. yeah. in regard to sexuality. All of it was in the pursuit of putting God on display. It was very good. Yeah. It was, And I think like that's important because I think sometimes when we start the sexuality conversation, we move quickly to Genesis 3 and the way sexuality was perverted yeah. versus the intent of God, which is that sexuality truly was very good mm -hmm. yeah and you mentioned one other thing you, you those those three things that you said i would add a fourth or maybe it's a, a sub point of one of the others is is prior to genesis 3 um the way we actually accessed truth was through what god revealed to exactly. us and now all of a sudden eve determined for herself what was right and wrong and what was good and bad yeah, man. We, you know, and, yeah. And, and, and how tempting now, post Genesis three, when it comes to sexuality, I think, I think we become the determiners of right or wrong, instead of actually God being the authority in that and framing that discussion. Totally it goes to what you and I are both saying in the first part of this: of whether you, whether you go Proverbs three or Romans twelve, it's don't lean on your own understanding or just absorb the other thoughts going around in the world in front of you. It's this, will we learn to walk with God in that relationship of trust, right? Mm -hmm. Totally, man. Now, so in the biblical story, and I'll just kick this over to either one of you, obviously in Genesis 3, off we get launched for the first time where sexuality can be used in such a way where it's no longer to make a name for God. But by the time we get to Genesis 11, even sexuality, right, is to make a name for ourselves. But it seems even starting as early as Early on, we mm -hmm. start to already see the ramifications of sexual perversion, especially in, in ways in which I would say we wrong others, which is goes back to First Thessalonians 4 again, right? We see several instances, yeah. and there's kind of the pinnacle point in which it, it kind of reaches its climax when we see Noah come along where these people were doing whatever was right in their own eyes, right? Kind of in that moment. So maybe the, we, we see the fall of it, the perversion of it, but maybe where do you guys start seeing the turn? Like, where do we start seeing redemption come to bear in regard to to specifically this issue of sexuality? Well, I, before we touch on the, the the good news part of it, I think there's just something so to say. always want to do the bad news. I know, I do. Say. I just want to stay there. No, but just like like we talked a, a couple minutes ago that that the image of God is the most foundational, the most central idea of who we are as humans. But sexuality is a very important aspect of who we are simply because of the fact that sexuality is the way in which two image bearers of God share such an intimate, close bond together. Mm -hmm. And it's also the way in which God mysteriously works through sexual intercourse to bring more image bearers into the world. And so, again, the power of sexuality is what makes it so that way when we see the brokenness, the twistedness of it, the ramifications of it, it, it can be particularly devastating and distorting simply because it is designed by God as a very powerful aspect of who yeah. we are. You know? I don't, yeah, I don't think... I don't think we we appreciate fully when we say like um, putting God on display or being an image bearer, especially in regards to sexuality. I don't think we think 
It's like, how do we do that? And I think we miss the idea of intimacy and union and like the Godhead, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit has such an intimacy and such a union that, that when you join together, that you actually do have an ability to actually have a greater understanding and appreciation for how God is intimately connected mm-hmm. within himself. That, that union language between, you know, uh, husband and wife is is a powerful demonstration. But if I never experience it, though, it doesn't make me less. Less. Yes. I think right. that's, that's what we were talking about too. last time when, yeah. when, when all of us can put God just, on display in unique ways. Guard this other side of it. For sure. Yeah. Because there's no doubt it is a powerful, powerful right. way in which we share our ourselves together in such a way to bring honor to God. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess maybe to your point about how do we see the redemption of yeah. it? I mean, just the okay. very the very fact that they're in Genesis three, the promise that God makes, he's speaking of the serpent, but he makes this promise, it's huge for us as humans, that a descendant of the woman would the be seed. the snake crusher. Again, how how would a descendant come? It would be through sexual union of image bearers going forward. So you do see that God's redemptive plan Sex is a, an important part of God's redemptive plan by virtue of the fact that it's through a descendant of this one man and this one woman that our Savior would come. Yeah, you see the promise of redemption mm-hmm. there in Genesis 3. Yeah. I think you start to see with Abram just a few chapters later, I mean, right out, you know, Genesis 12, you see both the perversion and the promise. Yeah. Right? You see the promise of of, of birthing this great nation and having multiple descendants, but Abram does what's right in his own eyes. And, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's trusting his own wisdom and understanding and goes, Oh, my wife and I are old. Mm-hmm. So maybe I should. This is a known <laughs> thing. I mean, this woman is property of mine. This slave woman in my house is property. Maybe I should just do it this way. And again, conform to the pattern of this world. And it brought about yeah. so much strife. He in didn't this trust family. God. Yeah. Right. Ultimately. Yeah, I didn't trust that. God. Didn't trust God's way. Yeah. For sure. God really did. And I think that like, it's interesting. I'm reading through the old Testament right now. That seems to become the pattern. Yeah. Right. That this way in which in and around sexuality, we lose sight that we really can trust God with mm-hmm. this crucial aspect of our life. Mm-hmm. But yet over and over and over and over again, and not just the like so-called bad people, mm-hmm. but even the people that God used powerfully to be to move towards what you're talking about, this seed, mm-hmm. even those people had sexual brokenness, right? We see that throughout. In fact, I, I would say almost every major character in some ways we see aspects of sexual brokenness. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you're talking in the in the Old Testament in particular, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts. So I mean uh, but I think I think when you start seeing the sexuality played out in the Old Testament, we see a lot of examples of perversion and how we people use sexuality in a way to make a name for themselves or get their own, you know, um, mm-hmm. in selfish ways or what makes right sense to them in their own eyes. Um, and when we see the redemptive side of sexuality and sexual engagement, it's usually coupled with procreation. It's birthing children mm-hmm. and, or a redemptive act. And I think part of our struggle here is that we don't understand the ancient Near Eastern yeah. kind of culture and worldview and how people's reputation and name and family legacy were propagated through offspring mm-hmm. um, and and so I think sometimes we the, we miss the redemptive side of sexuality because we just see it in family legacies and and birthing of children, forgetting the fact that that's that's actually an aspect of sexuality. We just don't get it quite because of the the cultural gap between us and the ancient Near East. Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but it's I think we miss some of it in the Old Testament, the redemptive side of it. Yeah, and I also just think the last couple of generations since the advent of like different forms of birth control we as a society have been able to separate sex sex, and sexual engagement from procreation to a greater extent than previous generations ever had ever ever had or could it was kind of the inevitable outcome unless again there was barrenness going on or something there but yeah i do i do think there's something there of you can differentiate in in discussions between holy human sexuality and procreation but yet they're always going to be closely associated with each other yeah especially in the in the Old Testament, you, the, one of the reasons you can, they're trying to 
birth the Messiah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right, they're, yeah. they're, so the more sex you have, the more kids you have, the more likely the, the Messiah is coming, you know, because you know that he, the snake crusher is coming. Yeah. And then on the other side, he yeah. promised to Abraham a multitude of descendants. And so you are trying to birth a nation. And so to your point earlier, you are birthing more image bearers. And so in that old covenant reality, like sexuality and kind of, you're trying to almost birth the new covenant yeah. in a weird way. Yeah, it's a, it's a key part of it. And, and again, the there's also I mean, one of the passages that sticks out to me in, ter in terms of, again, where God confronts his people with his intention for their sexuality and even for marriage in terms of it putting him on display is like in Malachi chapter two, where where God speaks out against the people of Israel, even at the very end of, of like kind of the Old Testament time period. And he says, God was a witness of the way that you were faithless to the wife of your youth. Like mm -hmm. God's desire was in this marriage that you would put his faithful character on display. And he sees the way that you're not doing that. And he calls them, be faithful to the wife of your youth. Again, he's speaking to men in that passage, but he says, live out my faithful character in the way that you are faithful to one another there. And again, it brings us back to this idea that even our sexuality is meant to put God's character on display. And every time we, we, we take it outside of those bounds, we do solely this powerful good gift that God has given us. You know? Yeah, it's crazy how we see within this, and you started to bring it up a little bit ago, Spencer, this idea that in this brokenness, the way it began to manifest itself, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's through male dominance, right? In which you see that where men did horrific things uh, in regard to women. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of it, the way women learn to manipulate men in and through this powerful tool, right? That they, yeah. they also know how to, instead of making a name for God, to be able to then instead... In some ways, it was almost a survival mechanism in some ways. And yeah, I mean, you saw, yeah, you see Delilah 100%, manipulating yeah. Samson that way. You see Jezebel leveraging that. Um, Proverbs, the early chapters of Proverbs yeah, exactly. saying, my son, watch out, watch out for watch this out. woman, yeah. you know, yeah. But I think like what's what's interesting, though, is, okay, so we talked about this being such a powerful reality, mm -hmm. right? So we see the brokenness in that way. But then into the Old Testament comes Song of Solomon, mm -hmm. where all of a sudden these pleasures, right? Because again, I don't want to just, there's an aspect of this that's definitely children and mm -hmm. procreation, right? No doubt about yeah. it. The seed's going to come that way. But then we see this book that kind of in an interesting way lands in and goes, oh, and by the way, it's more than just procreation. Yeah. There's this moment in which this wonderful, powerful reality is stewarded not just in the procreation of children, but is stewarded, and I think that's what's so beautiful about Song of Solomon, on the behalf of the other person. Yeah, for the right? delight of that. And that we're already delight. starting to see these inklings of what is, what Jesus is going to talk about the way that we serve others, the way that we love others, the way that we give of ourselves for someone else, and sex actually now being included into this in a mm -hmm. really powerful way, which I think... Like it just, it, in a cool way, it kind of brings together that these sexual passions and desires are not evil in of themselves. It is that we are evil and we use those passions and desires for evil things instead of putting God on display, right? Mm -hmm. So those passions and desires also have a way for us to be able to still fulfill our image bearing status. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I think there's another side of it that's leaning on God's, or, or on, on our understanding versus God's understanding is that it seems, and I think especially now, it seems so archaic to think a inside of marriage, um, monogamy, right? These words that we throw around that we, you know, so Puritan. But maybe speak for just a second. Like, why do you guys see biblically that God said, I want this to be between a man and a woman in the context of marriage? So let me, let me. Let me launch that out, because I think this is one more important part that we need to draw into the rest of the New Testament. I think that has to go back to what Christian was saying in Genesis 1, of understanding what God's intent for humanity was. And really, his, his all of his creation is going, we exist in all areas of life to put God on display and make God known. Full stop. Like, that's it. Mm -hmm. Now, I think in our sexuality we do have a unique and an amazing opportunity to put an aspect of God on display. The aspect of God that we get to put on display in and through sex and sexuality is um, union, is there's aspects of fidelity and faithfulness and mm -hmm. commitment that are shown. Um, and I think that puts God's relationship 
to himself within the Trinity on display in a very unique way. And again, to your point earlier, not to these single people get to put God on display in a very unique way through faithfulness and fidelity that... Which I can't wait to get to the person that, that, of I Jesus. mean, so, yeah, so we get, sure. we, I mean, but then men and women get, I mean, because it comes back to that issue of stewardship and going, regardless of stage of life or circumstance in life, we have been entrusted with things so that we can put God on display. None of us can put God on display entirely on our own. So we're limited to those things that God has entrusted to us so we can put some facet of God on display. I think sexual union in the context of marriage puts God's fidelity, intimacy, and union on display or has the capacity to do that and he asked in some an of amazing his people, way. He asked some of his people to do that. Yes. Not all of them. But I would say he asked some of his people to do that more than others even. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Which I can't wait to get where we land this. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so that gives us a little bit of a framework of the redemptive work of God in and through the Old Testament. But obviously everything is moving towards the person of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Along into this and sex now arrives in a different way because now he's not born. Yeah. True. Crazy that the, all of this focus on procreation and bringing the Messiah, <laughs> the Messiah comes through a virgin birth. And then God goes, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit says, uh, just, just kidding. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But into this, right, we now we now see that the seed still get, gets passed down in a unique way through this, this woman, Mary. Yeah. And Jesus was born of a virgin. But let's speak to Jesus a little bit in this grand narrative of Scripture. Where do we see Jesus bring bringing about redemption, obviously, no doubt he transforms us, changes, makes us able to live as we're supposed to. But where do you see him in his life uh, redeeming sexuality? In his life? Yeah, in his life here on earth. I'm just curious for you, from you guys' standpoint. Like we see him speak again, I think like Matthew 19, to the beauty of why God hates divorce. Yeah, I think, I now you mentioned Matthew 18, 19, and that's where my mind went as well, and especially where the, the commentary, the, the way that Jesus reframes the Old Testament law, because again, we've talked about mm -hmm. different ways it came up in the text, but there's a lot in the Old Testament law in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Exodus that that talk about what type of sexual unions are, in, are, are, are right and which kinds are outside the bounds of that. And there's a huge way in which God's law functioned to kind of set boundaries, set perimeters of... Hey, your 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 fallen, twisted hearts are going to ex desire to express your sexuality every, each way from Sunday, and these these ones are out of bounds. So there is a restraining of our sinful desires there, and there is a protection of those who could be uh, mistreated in the midst of it. And there's also, as strange as it says, God's God, law is good and it's holy, and yet there are aspects of God's law that are concession to our fallenness. And in particular, when Jesus is asked about what the Mosaic law said about divorce that you could give your wife a certificate of divorce and send her away, which again, the purpose of that law was actually for the protection of the woman. If she's cast off by her husband, she has some way to verify, I'm not cheating on my husband. He sent me away. I can come under the protection yeah. of another man. It was actually to look out for her. But Jesus makes a statement where he says, the reason why Moses gave that to you is because of your hardness of heart. Like the, the law could restrain sin and it could provide some protection for the vulnerable, but the law alone could not change our hearts. And that's the thing that we see is that that at that root cause, if Jesus says it's out of our hearts that sexual morality and murder and adultery and all those thoughts and actions come to bear, he says, that's what I'm here to fix. Yeah. I'm here to actually bring about a softness to your hearts that you could not have before. And what's beautiful about that is he's already launching the new covenant, yeah. right? Like he's already giving images of that where, where he is saying this is, there is coming a time in which the internal work of me through my, through the Holy Spirit will accomplish its work in that. But he even says there though, like, if you can't do this, well, then there's this other reality. You know, he talks about like not only celibacy, but like, you know, we're going on this. Well, when, this he, when he talks about there are some who make themselves eunuchs, right? Yeah, yeah. Where now That's we're, what the, yeah, yeah, just, you know, the clerk, <laughs> I've been trying to work on my filter. Um, but there's just this side of it that I think is so powerful where, and this is where I couldn't wait to speak to it. He, he, he does also give us an image of how he stewarded sexuality apart from ever engaging in yeah, sexuality. That, I mean, that even, it, there, is a, there is a relativization of, these, of, of how important sexual expression is to our humanity and the fact that we hang our salvation on a celibate single man. That the way that Jesus stewarded his, 
stewarded his sexuality as a man was by controlling his body in holiness yeah. and honor in light of the mission that God had given him. A yeah. completely fulfilled human being. Absolutely. In fact, the epitome of what humanity was ever intended to be in that. So then, obviously, uh, Jesus, the speaking of the new covenant, he, he dies, he's buried, he raises again, he goes to the right hand of the Father, but now we see the coming of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. in which now there's a beautiful way in which no longer is the stewarding of our sexuality from compelling nature outside the law. But now for the first time, there's an internal compulsion of God being in us as the means of compelling us to be the people God intends in and, in and through even an aspect of our lives, as powerful as it is, sexuality. Mm -hmm. So speak to that real quickly before we kind of bring this to a close. I'm going to actually broaden it and say, the thing I, I don't think we actually think through enough is we try to narrow down conversations like this or any other like sphere of life to just the passages that talk about sex. And we forget about the passages that talk about humanity and going, okay, so as a redeemed image bearer, I am a new creation. Amen. Like all aspects of my life are new and redeemed. That means I have the capacity to think differently about everything. Mm -hmm. I have the including capacity sexuality. to live differently in every way of my life, including sexuality. You know, um, Philippians one, that I need to, or two, um, that I actually should not do anything out of selfish ambition. Well, it's not a passage about sex, but it has everything to do with sex. Oh, totally. You know, I'm going, going, oh, wait, but that's a passage talking about two ladies arguing with each other. Yeah, but the command, like the call is to like, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit and consider in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Yeah. Well, that's just a common practice of a redeemed image bearer. Does it have things to do with sexuality and sexual expression? 100%. Yeah. But if I'm just looking for verses that talk about sex, I miss the passages that talk about basic... The entire like, law of Christ... 100%. ...is meant to guide us in every aspect of our lives, and again, including yes. our sexuality, which mm -hmm. means, back to Sir Cicely's 4 again, when he calls us to this sanctification, and then mm -hmm. he includes in, oh, by the way, here's what it, here's what it is, yeah. mm -hmm. in and through sexuality and sexual brokenness, there's that call to the internal compelling nature of us being able to fulfill what God intended from the very beginning yes. to whether it is through singleness, where we are asked to walk in a similar path as our King Jesus, mm -hmm. or in marriage and in through sexuality, we can yeah. put God on display. Through yeah. the power of the Holy through Spirit. Through the power Absolutely. of the Holy Spirit. But it's, it's not limited to just those verses that talk about. 100%. So, so all of a sudden you go, like for me, I go, Man, what does what does Galatians six one and two have to do with sexuality? Bear one another's burdens. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's like wait, wait, wait. So if my spouse yeah. has has a burden, what does it mean to think through and bear your spouse's burden when it comes to sex and sexuality? And you know what I mean? And going, oh, well, that's a different. That's a reframing altogether. And it's like, but but we we don't always think that about that. So then I think I don't know what, what would your there's I think there's other passages that actually speak specifically to sexuality, but I, I just wanted to hit those top level, non-sexual yeah. verses that still speak incredibly to it. I, I think there's one of those things I'd almost love to go back for a second and talk about Jesus himself. Cause again, we, we affirm that he is a fully realized human being, even though he was a celibate single man, that, that in no way was his humanity diminished or inhibited by that. And even there's this amazing promise in Isaiah 53, the classic passage about the suffering servant, when it says that after he has made his, his soul an offering for sin, that he will see his offspring and prolong his days, that there would be a name and descendants for Jesus in that way. Again, not through physical procreation, but again, there would be those who would now share in this new covenant regenerate life through him. That again, I think the way that we think through that, if, if the connection between sexuality and 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 multiplying the human family, now we see in this new covenant. Because right after that, in the very next chapter of Isaiah, he talks about the barren woman who has more children than the married woman. Again, not because she has physical offspring, but because now she is able to multiply the family of God in a yeah. different way through the, what we would see in the New Testament as this, these making of disciples, this yeah. calling others into this new life in Jesus. And so, and so that's where you look at it and you go, okay, now whether married or single, 
The image of God is still my starting point of reference for who I am. I'm one made in God's image to live in relationship with him and put him on display through partnership with him. And the mission that he's given us is to grow this family through the making of disciples. And now it's just a matter of, okay, from what life situation do I do that from? Do I grow the family through making disciples as a single person? Do I grow the family through making disciples as a married person? And Paul would say kind of in 1 Corinthians 7, well, what situation were you in when you were called? There seek to remain with the Lord and serve him there. And Paul wrestled through that in his own life saying, actually, I think it's better for me. And I would, cons- I would offer, I would suggest to you, my readers, that it's better for you as well to remain in that single state and devote yourself to the family of God. But again, you're not yeah. sinning if you marry. It's just... This is now all reframed in this sense of we yeah. put God on display as image bearers through growing the family through the making of disciples. Yeah. Man, he's speaking your language. First time I remember sitting in a class with you, Spencer, and this was your hobby horse before you came to town. And I was like, watch your watch out. Spencer's going to talk about the beauty of spiritual new birth, right? Like in, in the call of the church to look at it differently. And, and obviously, by the time we get to new creation, um, all of these image bearers that God had designated as his very own are now collected together, both his physical children and obviously the the renewed, regenerated people that he's been called to his own. Mm -hmm. And then we learn this amazing statement from Jesus that now, not in heaven, but in the resurrection, we will no longer be seeing marriage or giving in marriage, meaning what? Well, I think that the purposes of marriage will have been fulfilled. Yeah. Um, if marriage was simply to point to Jesus and his relationship with the church and in a unique way put an aspect of God on display, well, that aspect will have been fully realized. Mm-hmm. So marriage will, like, you no longer need the trailer for the movie if you're actually watching the movie. Amen. Yeah. You know, and so, so, so there's that aspect. And then the other side of going within the context of sex and sexual engagement or expression, if it's to display an aspect of God that we said was union um, or um, even procreation, well, those things would have been fulfilled and fully realized because when there's that wedding feast between Christ and the church, man, we're going to understand like the union of the Godhead will be fully realized. The, the, the number of disciples made and the people mm-hmm. of God will be fully established. Um, and the intimacy the in- to which you spoke about, yeah, right? that we, that we, again, intimacy just as, as humanity in regards to relationship with God will finally be realized yeah. in that moment. Yeah. These things that, I mean, I know we talk about it a lot around here of going the already and not yet side of things, these little foretastes of what God really created us for will be fully realized. And so it's not like new creation is less than what we're currently experiencing. Yeah. yeah. It's no, the things we're experiencing now will be fully realized in what they're intended to point to. And if that is a thought that makes us feel a little bit awkward or giggly teenager, which it kind of does for me, you know, it's that again, it's just the smallness of our frame of reference right now to just kind of go, because I recognize that my sen- my sexual desires are often tilted toward selfishness. And that as a sinful person, there is still the allure of the forbidden. And some of that's what makes sex the weird thing to talk about sometimes is the is is the ways that we get it wrong. And so this idea that when when the Psalms talk about at the right hand of God are pleasures mm. forevermore, that there is more pleasure yet for him to mm-hmm. show us to experience in his presence than even the pleasure that we get from human sexual interaction. I don't know what that's going to be like. Um, but I trust when God says that I, I'm, I'm not going to sit there going, you know what? I really miss that we don't get yeah. to do this part of it anymore. I, he, he's, he's good enough to deliver on those promises. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's shift over a little bit and let's begin to talk about how, how, we, how we see this kind of land in, into our lives. All right. So the way that we kind of said we want to frame this, which I really do appreciate. And I think like for me, actually, I'm just going to read out of our doctrinal statement because you wrote this section, right? The humanity uh, section? Yeah, kind of the the lead writer on it, but then we worked through it with a team of us too. Uh, yeah, we worked through it, a ton of us, but yeah. uh, a ton of this. Not but me. 
Yeah, right. we, didn't want, we didn't want Spencer there because he was going to... He's going to make us rewrite the whole thing. He's going to make rewrite the whole thing. You've never invited an English teacher to a writing of a doctrinal statement. <laughs> I don't like your thesis statement here. Um, but there's no thesis statement. All right, back at uh, it. So anyway, so here's what, you, here's what um, either you wrote or became, so I don't know what it was. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christians are called and enabled to seek repentance and holiness in their sexuality, and here's the part I wanted to get to, and to steward their sexual attractions, desires, actions, in keeping with God's design for human sexuality. And I love the the way, and we've been talking about this outside of it as we were kind of framing what we want to talk about, is that if our our our, our chief aim in life is to put God on display so that he's made much of and we fulfill our creative intent. Stewardship speaks so well to it. And it also comes back to what you were saying, this, Spencer, this idea that now multiple texts speak to an issue like sexuality, not just the, 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 the ones that have, you know, sexual kind of terminology within them. So maybe since you're the one that, that wrote that, um, why don't you help us a little, help us to kind of frame the practical end of what we're going to talk about here. Just, from that idea of stewardship. Yeah. I, I, the first thing, like the last part of that phrase where it says to steward it in keeping with God's design for human sexuality. At the beginning of that section, just a couple statements above that, we talk about how human sexuality, which includes our sexual attraction, desires, and actions, is a gift of God that is intended for the pleasure and union of one man and one woman within marriage. And so when we say it, to do it in keeping with God's design, it's that design of pleasure and union of one man, one man and one woman within marriage. And our, our position is that, again, not in our own power, not just through the rules we can make or expectations or pressure we can put on each other, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, each one of us as followers of Jesus can steward our own sexual attractions, desires, and actions with that as the ultimate goal. I want to put God on display through this, not just satisfy my, my own desires. But I think there's a particularity in that because each of us, we, uh, you, you may have different level of sexual desire. You, know, um, you may experience attractions, again, that you are are more or less in keeping with God's design. Yeah, you know, definitely like, like unwanted attractions in some way. Unwanted attractions, yeah. whether that's unwanted attractions to another woman that's not your wife or a man who's not your husband, or even perhaps like an unwanted attraction for someone who's the same gender as you. But again, we'd say, okay, there, through the power of the Holy Spirit— you can steward even the the disorderedness in our sexual desires. That's that was the the point that we really saw in First Thessalonians four when 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 Paul says that God's will is our sanctification that we learn know or or rather learn to control our bodies in holiness and honor. There's there's the statement this is God's will for you and His enablement through the Holy Spirit. You can learn to control your bodily desires in keeping with God's design, in holiness and honor. Now, here's where it changes, because, I mean, you know, we've all done youth ministry, right? And I was a youth, were you a youth pastor in the 90s as well? Yeah. Okay, so you you weren't, you're still no. a, a babe. <laughs> but for us, right, it, I think like that, the reality of how we were teaching and training young people in regard to sexuality had very little stewardship language in it. Yeah, I mean, do you want to speak to that real, real quick? Yeah, no, I think stewardship and image bearing were not words or ideas I that were in the framework. <laughs> of, and uh, and yeah, I look back and go, man, I, not just not just what I was teaching youth, but but even in my own thinking of going, if if I remove stewardship from the equation. And I remove uh, what it means to be human from the equation. And when I, when I say that, I mean the image-bearing side of yeah. what God intended for me. And I reduce my understanding of sexuality to um, that, whether it's, I mean, I've heard, I mean, you hear all the different language, right, of going that guys are just sexual beings or they just have sexual appetites. Yeah, which I they, heard this week, a guy said that. He said humans are basically, we are framed primarily as sexual beings. I, I actually heard yeah. <laughs> and so whether it's we're primarily sexual beings, you know, thanks Freud or whoever, yeah. you know, and you go or, you know, that um, that we're reduced down that guys can't that, you know, they're just they're just they're just walking lust machines, you know, yeah, kind of a yeah. thing, you know, where they get they can't help themselves. And if if that's what more, happens, more animal. In yeah, it's more animalistic, you know, and you go yeah. 
and if we reduce our sexuality down to that, which unfortunately was both what I taught others and had allowed to shape my own thinking, man, you know what? I miss the fact that that image bearing and stewardship were even part of the conversation. Yeah. And what, what it leads to then is a high degree of, I mean, I can't speak for how, uh, I'm looking forward to weeks coming where there'll be women in the conversation yeah, here. 100%. So I don't want to speak on behalf of women. As a guy, when I'm on the receiving end of being taught, I'm a, a lust machine or that I have these insatiable desires and, and really we create, and I think unintentionally, we create a culture where men, I, I shouldn't, I don't want to speak for all men, that I unintentionally start objectifying women mm -hmm. because women are a means to sa satisfy this lust that and I that's who have. I am. And that's who I am. And this is what God's designed it for. And realizing, oh my gosh, that is so messed up yeah. and causes so much harm for me. Let alone, I mean, not now, now, you know, a couple of weeks, we'll talk from from a woman's perspective what what this purity culture has done. But I just look backwards and I go, oh my gosh, I caused a lot of harm. Yeah, in my own heart and in the lives of others. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, we drew that like on, on a personal level. That then framework of thinking sadly got brought into our marriages. Um, it, it I, I still remember one guy coming up to me. A couple of days before the wedding, and he goes, "Oh, now you know. Now you know. Suddenly, the green light's on, and you get to be that insatiable beast that, you know, can just you know fulfill all your desires. Now that you're married, and very little of it had to do with, oh wow, you are entering a new phase of stewardship. You were 100%. stewarding your life yeah. one way, Todd, in regard to your sexuality, and how God has called you to be a single man, and so therefore you're putting God on display in your singleness." But Todd, you're still going to fulfill your stewardship. It's just now going to be different with a sister in Christ mm -hmm. that God has, has put you together with, but still as the opportunity to fulfill your image-bearing status, right? And regardless of the position you're in, back to 1 Corinthians 7, will no. fulfill your intended yeah, uh, yeah. creation or your creation intent. And don't objectify your wife now as basically she exists to satisfy my desires. Yeah. Instead, this sense of, no, this is... This is a means through which now I get to honor and bless but her. But so many books, I feel like, that talked about sex during the, the well, I can only speak to the yeah. 90s and maybe the early 2000s, where your husband is still just a raging hormone machine. So give in to his, acquiesce to his sexual desires. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember reading those kinds of chapters. Um, but it still continues instead of using stewardship language, mm -hmm. help your husband to steward what God has entrusted yeah. him, man, steward what it is that you've been called to. We, yeah. we, we instead, I think acquiesce to more of a humanistic understanding. Well, it goes, yeah, it goes back to what, I mean, where we started the whole conversation in Genesis one and or Genesis three of going, one of the things that humanity did in Genesis three is we, we lost the script and we started to determine what was right or wrong on our own. Mm -hmm. And we exited out of God's story and God's design and God's intent and going to your point going, I remember er, like not, not early in marriage, but just, I remember early stages of thinking through like, man, what does it look like to be a good steward of the wife that God's entrusted mm -hmm. to me and actually going, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like that sense of going, I've never thought about this before yeah. and shame on me. Right. Yeah. And then it's like, wow, how many friends do I have that are in that similar boat of going, they don't know how to be a good steward of the spouse that God's entrusted to them so that they can put Jesus on display. Yeah. And you talk about a radical transformation. I've gone, man. And it's but it, born out of, I don't have the answers. I just know I'm not asking this question and I need to. Yeah. Yeah. And it plays out obviously is then as life changes because we haven't used used stewardship language, uh, whether we're, we do get married and we think, oh, okay, green light, but you know this, life can send all kinds of different curveballs at us where mm -hmm. one of us, you know, as spouses might no longer be able to have sex, libido changes, um, all the different facets of injury. life. Yeah, inj injury, but be, but because we don't have in our mindset, hey, regardless, Paul would say, of the circumstances to which you're in, mm -hmm. well, manifest God's created intent for you, which is put God on display by how you still care for your spouse, honor your spouse, right? There's just, or 
in your singleness or, you know, again, whatever form or facet of life that you've been called to. Yeah. I just think like that returning or or maybe even not returning because I don't know if I heard it much, right. but really embracing that stewardship language becomes yeah, huge. When you, when you reframe the conversation about sex to an issue of stewardship and image bearing, it's not far or long until you come to the conclusion that sex really is not about me mm. or my desires. Yeah. Like it's not, it, it, it cannot be as a, as a redeemed image bearer of God. Really nothing in my life is about me or my desire. It's about how can I put Jesus on display and how can I care about others? Yeah. And that, and you actually find out that's where the greatest pleasure and fulfillment comes from. When you stop trying to seek first and foremost, your pleasure and your fulfillment through it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Like, what do you know? Flip the magnet around. Oh, that's the way that this is supposed to work. You know, which I think like, again, when we talk about sexuality, I think this is what's so powerful is that then the kind of the piece that we talked about at the end is that when I do have the Holy Spirit within me, I do now have the capacity to experience life and all of its pleasures right. as the intent for which God created right. me to experience. But I think there's, yes, I think the, the point in the, like the, what makes this really, really difficult, and it goes back to the, the quote you, you read uh, a couple of weeks ago, was going, if the church is silent on this one, or we're teaching wrongly on this one, we will be discipled by the world. We will violate Romans 12. We will conform to the pattern of the world. And I think the church has certainly been complicit. I know with certainty I have been complicit oh, have. in teaching and advocating a real worldly approach to sex and sexuality. I've lost or didn't know to, th to think about sex and sexuality in regards to an image-bearing stewardship task. Yeah. So I think we just, I think it's a learning journey and I think it's good. Yeah. You have a thought, Christian? Yeah, Todd, I just, I mean, I knew you had read one of those statements from the doctrinal statement in regard to just the stewardship of sexuality, but we wanted to make sure in that section that we finished with a really emphatic statement about singleness Amen. as a as a God honoring way to steward our sexuality as, as something that's not just defined by what you don't get to do, but is just as much as marriage defined by what we, the ways that we do get to put God on display. And so I guess I just wanted to say, we're probably going to do another podcast where we explore that in a lot more detail, but would you read that part of it as well? Yeah. I feel like we're in Bible class and could you read Romans? With <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just through the power of the Holy spirit, a celibate single life is not only possible, but is to be equally honored alongside of marriage as pleasing to God and essential to life and witness of his church. Amen. But I, I will say as a, as a married man, I believe that statement, but I want to see my single brothers and sisters bring that to life. I want to see them live in such a way where I get to look at that and go, see, look what you get to do to put God on display in a way that like, I just, that's, that's part of my hope for our church is to see singleness continue to be elevated in that way. Maybe not go to like the, the medieval period where it was almost seen as greater than marriage, like, like hold the two of these together. But like, I just think that's going to be a really exciting journey for our church family to take in the future is to see the glory of God displayed through singleness. Whenever I taught first Corinthians at EBC, that's one of the things I would always say is never forget the church has an incomplete image if it doesn't include men and women that embrace singleness, mm -hmm. we do not actually portray a fully accurate picture of God apart from that. Mm -hmm. And I think like whenever I would talk to them, it was so important to me that we made sure the church isn't supposed to just be married people. Yeah. That we need our brothers and sisters in Christ that are single. So, yeah, I think that would be a good topic. And in fact, we've already got somebody lined up that I can't wait to hear how they're going to do it. So, well, thank you guys so much. Uh, this one was a little bit longer, but we, we geeked out for a little bit. And I uh, want to thank you so much for being with us and beyond Sunday. Uh, again, our heart, and I'm so glad you're coming along with us as Cornerstone Church. I love the fact that you're with us in this, is that God's Word is amazing. And there are amazing ideas to which it teaches, but in a beautiful way, He's called His church to live those things out, not just in relationships in general, but relationships inside the context of God's church. Mm -hmm. So God bless you all. We'll see you. Thank you.